Welcome everybody, and this is Dina Gilmore. I'm your host for today. It is Wednesday, February 6th, 2019, and this is sponsored by IDEA and Rocky Mountain Media at Red Rocks Community College. And I have the beautiful pleasure of sitting down with some blues masters. I've got Phil Wiggins and George Kilby Jr. Hi guys. Hello, Dina. They just played a beautiful uh, blues set for us in the den at our college, and it was wonderful. So I would love to hear about you guys, how you got together. How did you form the band? That's a great story. Um, <laughs> well, uh, i tell you how we didn't do it. It, it wasn't one of those, those um, down-home blues stories about, oh, well, you know, Phil's people were sharecroppers, and, and my people were landowners and you know that, that all that stuff is so ridiculous um, it, it was it was a very simple and a lot of fun that we played the same festival in Pennsylvania one, one year and uh, and we we didn't actually get to talk to each other but uh, I'll tell you I'll let Phil tell you the funny thing that he he thought we were roadies <laughs> remember that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I thought they were the tech crew for the for the festival. They were they were hanging out in the in the dressing room, and um, I saw them hanging out in there, and I thought they were the tech crew. And so, and then when I got home and looked at the uh, program, I I, knew, I, I realized that they, oh, yeah, they're they a band, and the band had a had an accordion player. And, I'm going, and I was looking at it and going, hmm, accordion. They must be cool. They must be doing some cool stuff if they they're using an accordion. So. And then, uh, I, I guess I reached out to you on Facebook or something. Yeah, it was over the internet. And one of the coolest things, and this is, I don't know how many listeners out there are into, um, you know, literature and, and very, very particular books, but um, we recognize that we both read this book, and it's called Ridley Walker uh, by Russell Hoban. And it was because Phil had a quote, um, and and the the quote said "Trouble not." And there's only one book that has. It was a very recognizable thing, and so I sent him something on on the internet from the book, and he sent me back. Somebody goes, "I'm doing backflips. I've never known anybody to read that." <laughs> Yeah. Especially not a blues musician. Yeah. <laughs> what a great way to bring you guys together. It yeah. was so weird. Yeah. Wow. It was yeah. so weird. It was great. Well, I mean, you know, one one thing about that book, it's it's I guess kind of post Holocaust uh, civilization, post nuclear yeah. Holocaust civilization, and and so it's written in, in in a dialect that supposedly evolves after everything's been bombed to hell and back. Yeah, it and doesn't no exist in the, 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 the language knows. of the book. But so, so, so it's, to me, it, it, the book is like a long, like epic poem. It's, it's very poetic and very, you know, I mean, there's not a wasted syllable. And, and I think that, that, that the, the fact that we both uh, read that book and that, that it was important to us, I mean, it has a lot to do with why we connected anyway, because we're both, we both make songs. And we both, you know, play with words and experiment with words, and and so I, that was a good tip-off for me, at least, that George would be a good person to collaborate with on some some song writing. Yeah, and the, so. and then the next thing that we did was I had this song, like Phil mentioned, you know, it, it, uh, 
my band had an accordion man. And in fact, the, the same, Neil is meeting us in Jackson Hole. Right, right. <laughs> so when Phil goes home, I'm going to stay out and tour some more with the accordion player. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, um, but then I had this song. It was the first song we started with, with the racism, reconciliation, and the blues uh, program that we just did. It's called You Never See the Hand Throw the Stone. But it didn't really fit in the accordion band, if you will. It's, it's, you know, my band's just called George Kilby Jr. and the Road Dogs. And the guy, he plays accordion, but he also plays um, piano and, and organ, and, and, and he also plays some harp. Um, but anyway, um, that song didn't, didn't really fit in that, that band very well. And sometimes you write songs like that, right? right? But when I heard this guy, I said, this is a song where if, if, if I had a harp player like this, this would be the shit. Mm. And so he, he took one, listened to it, and, and, he, and he wrote back and he said, that sounds like a truth song. And that's a long other story. But, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, it has to do with, with his upbringing and, and who he, he um, Phil, Phil worked with as, as, a, as a young man. Um, but the end of the story is we got together in New York and recorded the song. That's and awesome. it's on the, the latest record, and so that was the beginning of collaborating. And that's one of the things that's really important to us is Phil calls them making songs, which I think is cool. Um, you know, uh, is, is collaborative efforts on, on original material. Phil has this really cool song about the West that I'm fooling with now. I'm trying to get. Um, it, it's, it's called. Uh, I don't know if it has a title yet, but it's. It, but yeah, but but all of that stuff is just. It's such a great thing to find someone that, that you can, and, and we don't even live in the same town. Yeah. You know, we live, we, I live in New York and he lives in D.C. Yeah, but it's close enough. You but know. you guys grew up in Alabama. Was that how you met? Well, I grew up in Alabama. You grew he up. spent his summers, right, Phil? Yeah. 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 So my family roots in Alabama. I was born in Washington, D.C. Okay. So my, my, my family home was outside of, well, Tinnisville, Alabama. Yeah. And so a lot of summers growing up I, I spent down there. And I know the, um, the listeners that will hear the podcast didn't get to hear the actual um, piece that you guys put on today, the concert. Right. But um, share a little bit about your families growing up in Alabama and what it was like for the 60s, how it impacted your families. Huh. Well, I mean, for me, um, you know, of course, growing up, I mean, and, and not just the 60s, but my, my family being born and raised down there. I mean, there, there are all kinds of stories that I hear yeah. about what life was like. Uh, there, and and you know, I, I I wouldn't say like hearing about difficulties. I'm just hearing about the the strengths and the ingenuity and the and the what they call making a way out of out of no way. You know, the, how how they survived and thrived in such a such a uh, uh, an adverse you know in, environment and how they. They all did well and were able to overcome all the, all these, you know, and 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 I mean, fortunately for fortunately for me, and what I tried the point I tried to make at the end was they they came through it also with an intact uh, spirit, intact sense of humor, intact sense of, of joy, and, and and all that 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 all these 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 uh, experiences that they had did not cause. They didn't let them change their nature, right? And 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 so I was raised that way. I was raised not to dwell on anger and hatred and bitterness. And, and I feel fortunate because I know so many people 
who that stuff is inside them and it just destroys you. It doesn't, and it's given the power over to someone else, you know, and I'm not given any of that power over. over and that struck me the most when you shared that on stage. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to share, I, and I don't want to butcher how you said it, but it was about the hate. You said something that really rung with me, and I want you to say it in your words so that I don't well, do a disservice to it. Well, I, I, hopefully I'll come close. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, but, but what, I, what I believe is that uh, if, you know, I mean, pe people in, in life and experiences, and of course in, in the history of Africans, African Americans, enslaved people, uh, Jim Crow, all that, there are really good reasons to to be angry and to be into, but but if you carry anger and bitterness, it doesn't hurt the people who are are who it's directed at. It only hurts you. And and for me, my goal is to maintain a, a healthy spirit and not to let some hateful person you know damage that. And so that's you know. and 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 the hard part of that. Is, is is to pass through the, the gateway of forgiveness. I mean, because un unfortunately we're stuck with that with that hurdle. We, you know, like I say, people have been wronged, but people can't let the the person that wronged them destroy them. And the only way around that, I feel, is to is is forgiveness. Is to to so that you don't carry that bitterness and that is self-destructive. Totally I think is. what Phil just said is is one of the, the the strongest points of our program, racism, reconciliation, and the blues. And there are so many programs, as Phil just said, that are different, and they they underscore injustice. That they they rail on and on about how much injustice there is. We don't disagree a bit that the, <laughs> that the injustice is there. Um, for my point, in when I told my personal stories at the end of the concert, you know, as a young boy, I was part of that injustice, right? So, but to underscore it and and to 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 let everybody know at, about it for the hundredth for the thousandth, thousandth, millionth time, it really doesn't move us forward. What right. moves us forward is forgiveness. What moves us forward is reconciliation, yeah. as hard as it is. Mm -hmm. Phil also, <laughs> in the, in the uh, when he concludes his talk, I think it's great that he always says how difficult it is because when we started the <laughs> the yeah. program, you know, it was a different administration, yeah. and for heaven's sakes, doing the the reconciliation, being an advocate of forgiveness, being an ad being advocates of, of reconciliation, is harder in the environment that we find ourselves <laughs> right totally. now. Yeah, and and but when you say, I mean, people railing on about the injustices, it's. I think that one reason that that happens is that the injustices are not in the past. Right. And I, I mean, and that's the the tiresome thing for me. Yeah, is it that, is. Is that 
it seems like we, we, we continually fight the same battles and we feel like we've moved forward and then come to find out that we really haven't. Right. You know, or maybe we have and then we've taken a couple of giant leaps back, backward. You know, um, I don't, and I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what, what will move us forward. Um, you know, I mean, let me say the things that are going on now I mean, I, you, you like to believe that progress is being made and that yeah. it's a, you know, that, that you actually do move forward. And, but, you know, people keep teaching their, their kids, you know, the same ignorance. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, but all I can say is, you know, face-to-face, person-to-person, human-to-human, that's the only way you want to. Yeah, because I grew up in the South, too. One bit at a time. That's cool. Where'd you grow up? In Texas. All right. Yeah, so my family, um, I resonated a lot with what you shared because there were some people in my family who were kind of uh, very discriminative. You know, I grew up gay my whole life, and so growing up in the South, that was not cool. Oh, yeah. That's one reason I live in Colorado. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you really resonated with me when you shared that about the hate, and that's why I wanted you to speak a little bit about that because Mm -hmm. I know, like, as a club, Rocky Mountain Media, that's the way we try to do everything is – to shine the light on where you are, where you want to go kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And it really goes back to that forgiveness because mm-hmm. we need more love and more acceptance of one another and as yeah. a, a whole unit, not so much uh, segregation or I do this over here, they do that over there. It's like yeah. really building and lifting each other up. Yeah. So I love that you guys shared that. That was right. really powerful for me today. Cool. Not Thank only you. just the music, but yeah. with what you guys shared. Yeah. So. Um, I would love to you for you guys to share about where can people find you? I know you guys brought some CDs and things like that today, mm-hmm. but where can they find you? Do you guys have like social media? Are you sure on we iTunes? Do. Well, we, things we, like that? We, we each have our own website, of course. Because okay. We, you know, being in different towns, we have our own bands. But uh, and then we have a common website, which is a lot of fun. It's called topfrogmusic.com, just like it sounds. Top Frog Music, and. Um, on that is a description and videos of racism, reconciliation, and the blues. And uh, our brother Sherman Holmes is also part of that. He was a great, uh, is a great, um, he was a Holmes brother. His, his other two, two brothers, uh, the guys in the band, have passed away. But, but Sherman lives um, a couple hours south of, of Phil in, in um, Tidewater area of Virginia. So he's part of that website. But, um, but Top Frog Music is our common one. And of course, Phil's is his name, philwiggins.com. Yes. Mine is my name, georgekilbyjr.com. And of course, we also, which I'm very proud to say, we have a Racism, Reconciliation, and the Blues Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram. Perfect. Well, not so perfect because we don't, <laughs> really have time to run it we we need someone to run them i mean we andy helps out a lot and and andy as soon as he can wants to join and and, you know talk a little bit too he's his voice is shot he's our bass player from from jackson hole we use a different bass player on the east coast but uh but he does all the gigs west of the mississippi (laughs) you hear that guys they could use an intern or they could use somebody a specialist so definitely need (laughs) a social media person to help run those three platforms and they can do and that I remotely they can do it in alaska man yeah you know i mean it's it doesn't matter but we need someone good at it you know because like you know phil and i we're we're a little older than, than you are so you know i'm it, almost it 50 it, it doesn't <laughs> come naturally for us to run twitter and instagram yeah 
I, know, I had to learn. Yeah. This is why I have Mac here beside me. Yeah. He's doing all the technical stuff. Right. Um, I just do the interviews. So <laughs> he's here so I don't muck it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would also love for you guys to share too. Uh, I think you have an event coming up Friday night. We do. You want to um, share with the listeners what's going on with you guys? Absolutely. We are at the Tuft Theater for Swallow Hill Music. Friday, that's February the 8th, and um, I think there's tickets still available. It's a great organization, Swallow Hill. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about it, um, and and it is just a, a we, we, we had a wonderful show with the great David Bromberg um, about a year ago, and so they've, they've uh, brought us out back, and we're, we're headlining this time, and um, so uh, we encourage everybody to come out uh, at, at tomorrow, I mean, Friday night, the 8th, at, at the Tuft Theater. I think it's Yale and Broadway or something. I can't okay. remember the address. Ticket prices, do we know those? I think they're 16 bucks or something. Oh, totally affordable. Come on, Denver. You guys got this. <laughs> cool. Um, and how long have you guys been playing, like, music individually? Phil, how long have you been playing? Ooh, man. Because her, I love the harmonica. So you had me the first first note. Uh, well, thank you, thank you. I, I, let's see. If I had to say, just off the top, I had like probably fifty years. Something wow. Like that. So yeah, yeah. Um, I started. I started like seriously trying to make music when I was a teenager, like maybe seventeen or so, sixteen, seventeen. I got um, George mentioned the, the the truth song thing. That, about some of my first serious plan was with a woman named Flora Malton. She was a, a sanctified elder, and she was blind, and she played, um, she was a street musician in D.C. She was really an institution there. I mean, she, she's, she had been there pretty much all my life, you know, and I got reintroduced to her as a musician, but she, um, she was a great songwriter, and she wrote songs about God. She was, you know, she's, like I said, she's a sanctified uh, minister. But she also wrote songs that she called truth songs, which were songs about how to navigate through life. You know, they were really great songs like uh, uh, Your Close Friends. Why do you, you got to watch your close friends. Because your, your enemy cannot harm you. He has no way to get in. But when your heart is made to bleed, it's by your bosom friends. you got to watch your close friends. And, and she, she had a great one. Uh, she, uh, it was originally when she when she made it, it was called the sun's gonna shine in Vietnam someday, and then and then it got changed to I believe the sun's gonna shine someday because unfortunately it kept being uh, apropos, you know, with all the different wars that we've been able to get in and out of. Uh, one of my favorite verses: "Rich man builds the weapons, the blood spilled by the poor." If the rich man would live by the word of God, he would end this bloody war. Mm. I believe the sun's going to shine someday. She, so, so she was a great songwriter, and she had that category, truth songs, which you know, that sort of felt like George's songs fit in that. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, I just did some amazing street photography in D.C., so I love D.C. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right. it's a really cool place. It's very colorful, yeah. and um, I really enjoyed that visit. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful city. Especially colorful uh, coming up in... When, when did the cherry blossoms come out again? May? I was there in March, okay. like mid-March. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's great. I want to go back. So yeah. that was I spent a summer there. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Now, how long have you been playing, George? Um, I started right about the same about the same time, about seventeen years old. Um, you know, uh, I started I'm fooling around with the guitar. You know, you know, learned a little bit earlier than that, but. Uh, 
but you know, really trying to be in bands and stuff. Um, and uh, Phil's got just a few years on me, so I'm not quite up to 50 years. But uh, but I started about 17, and and um, I uh, I got an old guitar from my uh, my aunt, and uh, I was really uh, really fascinated with well my my uncle would would sit on the porch and he could do damn near every Hank Williams song uh, you know you couldn't it was hard you'd be hard to stump him um, and one of the interesting when I got to New York I even even as a you know a guy 20 something I didn't understand that you could play guitar without singing Ah. <laughs> I just, I always thought that, that it was a thing to accompany yourself as you're entertaining. Mm-hmm. And, and then I met all these, you know, great jazz musicians and, and they, they didn't sing. And they, they were real, you know, the, 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 the essence of the guitar. And I was like, that. so I came from a completely different, you know, way of looking at music. I, I really came from a performance-oriented uh, um, Upbringing, uh, and like I said, you know, all everybody in the family sitting around listening to my uncle play Hank Williams songs. That was the first um, experience I had. So it's, it's my my uh, you know, my roots with this with this stuff. I love that you shared that because I've been moved to tears before just by blues. What I love about it is you don't even have to have any words, yeah. and the music and the way it's delivered can really move you. Because um, you played some Chuck Berry, which I'm a huge fan of, because my mama was, yeah. and so I love that you played a little bit of that. So, cool. um, one of my last questions I'll ask you guys: Who were your influences growing up musically? We already talked about Flora. That's great. You got yeah. that one out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I have to say first, that my, my my older brother. I, I have a brother who is just a who is a beautiful singer and guitar player. He's, he's one of these people that. You know, he he played uh, guitar, piano, you know, woodwinds, drums, I- any instrument you put in his hands. Like within about uh, 20 minutes or so, he's getting music out of it. You know, it's just you know. And so when I was growing up, I, you know, all the best musicians in my neighborhood were always hanging around my house to to hook up with my brother. And so and they would have these jam sessions, and I would always like just kind of sneak in on the outskirts of the jam and do my little tootling and all. And, it's funny, he, he, he's one of the first people I knew that kept a journal. And I remember he left his journal on, on the side of the bath one, till one time and I looked at it and it said, Man, I feel starting to get pretty good at that harmonica. And it, just, it was just like a, like a rite of passage for me. It just gave me such a huge boost. That's cool. And, uh, so so I have to say feel. that. Um, I was fortunate in D.C. Uh, I mentioned uh, Flora Malton. There was another uh, woman, uh, uh, guitar player, from originally from Mississippi, uh, um, Mother Scott, Eskimo Scott. So I, um, there was uh, a guy named Archie Edwards who was a, a Piedmont style uh, guitar player. There was uh, Chief Ellis who was a piano player. Uh, all these are kind of older generation people that really took me in mm-hmm. and welcomed me and, and taught me and spent time with me and were, were happy that, that a, a younger person was was interested in what they did and wanted to to carry it on. So, so those you know John Jackson. I mean, these are people that I, I knew personally, but are are fairly well known to people that are familiar with the acoustic blues. So, awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
What about you? Well, as I said, I already mentioned my uncle. Um, and um, I had the great, great fortune of befriending and and working for 20 years um, as his guitar player with the great Pine Top Perkins of Muddy Waters Band. Wow. And, uh, Pine was a huge influence on me. But, you know, when you talk about influence, you know, I think Phil got a lot more direct coaching from those those folks because he was, you know, um, Pine was, he was, I, I first met him, he was 79. We played together, you know, for over 20 years and and he died at 97. Um, and uh, so, um, Anyway, he taught me just by being himself, just by just by how he approached things. He never thought of himself as a star. He he thought of himself as just a guy who could play some piano. <laughs> it was it was just so cool to be around a guy like that. But anyway, look, I mean, I, as far as influences, you know, I heard bands growing up, all the southern rock that you probably mm -hmm. grew up with too. The Allman Brothers were, were hugely oh, yeah. in, influential in, in my, you know, approach to what music was. But when I got to New York, I, I also was had a really good fortune of, of working with some, some great people. A, a common friend of Phil and I, um, I was in his band, his name is Bill Dicey, another incredible harmonica player. Um, and, and Bill, you know, he was a little more hands-on with me than Pine Top. He, he, would, he would let me know when I was playing too much. Mm. You know, Pine Top, he just did what he did and you could, you could kind of feel it from him. But, but Bill, you know, because he was my band leader, in a way I was almost Pine Top's band leader because Pine Top was such a legend at, by that point that I would, you know, book the gigs and, and produce the records. And, and get him out there. See, when Muddy died, um, the band really didn't, you know, have much going on. There was a band called the Legendary Blues Band, of which Pine Top was part. But, you know, um, I helped get Pine Top out there on his own. And um, so I was very proud to be able to do that. But um, but when I got in Bill's band, you know, Bill would Bill would coach me a little bit about you know how to approach a song, and then I, I worked with this guy who was um, an incredible musician, Howie Wyeth, and he played drums and piano, and he um, played both those instruments for Bob Dylan's um, Blood on the Tracks and Desire Records, and as well, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the great uh, Rolling Concert or the traveling concert called Rolling Thunder. It was mm -hmm. Dylan and, and Baez and, and uh, Sam Shepard went along for, um, to document it. And uh, so Howie was the drummer on, on, on that particular tour. And, wow. and, and, and they went all over the country unannounced and did all these cool shows and they rode on a train. And so Howie, he, he was a stride piano player. Um, I don't know if you, the listeners out there know, know about stride piano, but I think if you listen to Fats Waller, I think most people have access to, to, to listen to Fats Waller's music. And then it, it, it stride um, um, 
the, the reason they come, came up with the name is the left hand of the piano player jumps between octaves. Boom, bump, boom, bump, boom, bump, boom, bump with his left hand, while his right hand is doing all this fancy stuff. And that, that style was, was uh, popular in the 20s and 30s. So I, I used to sing um, all those old 20s and 30s songs with Howie. <laughs> and that was really a, a great education in, in New York City as a you know, 30-year-old guy. You know, I was a blues player, of course, and, and, and a songwriter. But you know, Howie said, George, I got these songs, man, and I want you to check these out. So I was singing 20 songs and 30 songs and 40 songs with, with Howie. And, and that was a hell of a lot of fun. But, um, but anyway, those are, you know, just a few of the, few of the I worked with Coco Robichaux of, of New Orleans, and he was a great songwriter, and, and um, you know, just real lucky, you know, we both are to, 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 um, to have, have the journey that, that, that we've been able to, to come on and to be able to work together. I'm just so, so happy to be able to, you know, when we... We always meet in an airport and say goodbye in an airport. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, and as a college campus, we appreciate you guys spending the time not only playing for us, but allowing us to be able to do this interview, which hopefully you guys can use and get All some right. more listeners out there because you guys are amazing. So um, if you guys get a chance, check out Phil Wiggins and George Kilby Jr. Check them out Friday night. But thank you guys for your time. And thanks to Den for letting us uh, do this interview. And sponsored by Idea and Rocky Mountain Media here at Red Rocks Community College. Thanks for listening, guys. Say bye, guys. Bye. Thank See you. See you later. <laughs>